The Pokes Report podcast is sponsored by Downtown Barbershops here in Stillwater. They're located at 609 South Main Street. Great location just off of 6th Street, 609 South Main Street here in Stillwater. You can check them out at downtownbarbershops.com. All kinds of haircuts. They do children's haircuts, buzz haircuts, traditional haircuts. You can get a military haircut, razor fade, mustache, and beard trims. They're also working on adding spa services So be sure not to miss out on that. But I think the most important thing to say here is they give the best haircut. I've been getting my haircut here for several years now. Obviously, the best place in town, Randall, the owner, the best haircut in town. He also brings his dog in every now and then, Blue. I love Blue. Blue's a great dog. You can check him out again at downtownbarbershops.com. Three great staff members to give you the best cut in town, Randall, Joe, Rhonda. Again, check him out. 609 South Main Street here in Stillwater, or give them a call at 405-269-8590. Check them on the web at downtownbarbershops.com. Welcome into the Pokes Report podcast. My name is Zachary Lancaster, alongside Ryan Breeden. Marshall is taking the night off. He's dealing with some stuff. He's got stuff to take care of. Uh, It's game week once again. Oklahoma State coming off a 23-16 win over Missouri State in game one. A game that I think a lot of people, players and coaches included, kind of would like to see in the rear view as quickly as possible. Um, I've, I've told, I've said on my radio show several times this week, and I've, I've talked about it with Eric G on the, uh, the Sports Animal in Tulsa. I've talked about it with our guys on the site. I am chalking up the Missouri State game as an anomaly. I think the defensive performance was spectacular. Uh, so we're, we're going to dig into that a little bit as we look into Tulsa. The running game, putrid. Uh, and, and I'm not the only one. You know, the, the, the coaching staff, the offensive line, the running backs want to do over. You know, they, they want to move on from that. The, the run blocking wasn't good. The running backs weren't good. You know, I think it was 22 carries for 53 yards, I think, combined between – Three running backs, a wide receiver, and then a couple of sacks or a couple of lost yardage from Illingworth. So not a not an overall great day, but really looking forward to uh, looking forward to this Tulsa game. Looking forward to seeing what some of the dynamics are and, and how this game could be different. Uh, Ryan, we're we're a few days out, and I know that that you like everyone else, we're we're just chomping at the bit. But let's let's just put our our final thoughts on like the Missouri State game. Give me. Give me one quick thought here uh, on on how you feel Missouri State went and how they can move forward, and we'll we'll dive right into some some pretty big news that broke about three o'clock today. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned the word anomaly, and I think you uh, hit the nail on the head with that. I would say, especially in terms of the run game, there were a lot of factors that went into that being as disastrous as it was, a lot of things had to go wrong Mm -hmm. for that to happen. And I mean, Spencer Sanders, I don't think people realize how big of a difference he makes in helping open up the run game. The fact that he is as mobile as he is and that factor that he brings to the offense, it helps so much with the running game. And one thing that um, coach Gundy talked about today in his interviews with uh, Dave Hunziker, he brought up the offensive line and though most of those guys are very experienced. They haven't played together. So there's a chemistry thing there that needs to be developed as they go along. And it'll get better week to week. 
But this unit, while it might be experienced, they they haven't played together. So there's certain things that happen when that's the case. And the last thing I'll say about the run game, Gundy mentioned several times. He said, I think he said six or seven different times on Saturday against Missouri State. They were one block away from breaking one 15, 20, 30 yards, you know, and they just didn't happen because of a missed assignment or whatever were to go wrong. But I just think it was a perfect storm of things going wrong for the rushing game to be as disastrous as it was 1.9 yards per carry, obviously not even close to the four and a half yards of carry that Gundy says he wants to hit week in and week out. But I think that it'll be different this year, especially or this week coming up. It'll be different this next week, especially with the news that you mentioned uh, that we learned at around three o'clock. Yeah. Huge on the, uh, the orange power pod. Uh, Mike Gundy broke, and I, you know we had talked about it all week. It was something that I think everyone expected to happen, but it wasn't. It wasn't official. Uh, Mike Gundy came out earlier today and said that Spencer uh, Sanders is officially out of COVID protocols. That he is available for the Tulsa game, and I think that that's that's huge in several different ways. You hit on it. I mean, you look at the the fact of of just how dual threat Spencer is. I think what's important to look at, I mean, what he did against Miami, that's that's what people are led being led to believe he looked like throughout the the spring and throughout the summer. And we talked to him on Triple Play Sports Radio, uh, Spencer, we talked to Spencer at Big 12 Media Days, and he said that he's he over the summer he worked on over the summer and the spring he worked on a lot of stuff. His pre-snap reads, he's worked on his footwork a lot. He's worked on progressions once the ball is snapped. He's worked on his timing in the pocket. And I think all of that is incredibly, incredibly important. But you go through what he's done, and, I mean, he's had close to 900 rushing yards in the three seasons that he's been a quarterback. I'm not saying that he's going to go out there against Tulsa and put up, you know, 80, 90, 100 yards on the ground. But the fact that he can hurt you through the air or on the ground opens up that running game, and I, and I think it helps cover up some of the some of the deficiencies. And I, the, it was just so weird because the the offensive line. I understand that there's there might not be a, a, a really really strong chemistry between these guys. But what, what struck me as, as so strange is the fact that these guys, they're not first-year players. You know, it's not like Charlie Dickey w- trotted out a bunch of guys that are, you know, ni- 18, 19 years old, and they've, they haven't hardly played at all, and, and they're being forced to play this year because there's no one else. You bring in a guy like Danny Godlewski, uh, who you can read an exclusive journal every single week on Pokes Report. We, first-year player or not. We have a weekly exclusive journal with Danny Godlewski, the only place you'll see Godlewski or, good hear, stuff. or hear from Godlewski all season long. So uh, shameless plug there. We put out a new one last night. But you bring in a guy like Danny Godlewski, who's an all-max center. NFL scouts compare him to Jeff Saturday. You have Josh Sills coming back, who was an all-Big 12 uh, caliber lineman for, at West Virginia. He came in. This is his second year here. So you got you've got and I know that he didn't play on Saturday like but you have guys like Hunter Woodard and I think I think Hunter could be one of the best offensive linemen on this team before the year's over. 
You've got yeah. guys. Uh, you're you're trying to figure out your left tackle, but you know you got Jake Springfield out there at right tackle. He played a considerable amount last year, and and the guys that aren't, you know, like a lot of those guys that are on the line, they played a lot last year, and so it's it's not like they they sent out a bunch of rookies, and so that right. that to me was that that was the head scratcher for me because pass blocking was spectacular. You know, that was that was one of the better pass blocking performances we've seen from an Oklahoma State line in, you know, at least a few seasons. Yeah, I, I agree. And um I you mentioned that left tackle position and how it's still going here into week two listed as an or for Maturko or ETN. And I'm a I think that's a kind of my impact spot, the, the spot I'm gonna be looking at the most on the line um this weekend, just seeing if anyone can get the edge over the other and see how that position battle continues to uh, play out because, you know, Maturko doesn't have a ton of real, like true like playing experience here in ETN and get to play at all last mm-hmm. year. So obviously there's still some rust and some conditioning that needs to be discovered there for him. So that left tackle spot is one that I'm going to be looking at really closely this week. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the addition of, of Spencer Sanders is huge. And, and here's Mike Gundy, on Spencer and him coming back. Spencer's uh, looked the same as he's always looked. Um, you know, he's out of protocol and um, he's uh, practiced well this week. He was able to practice throughout the week and feels good. I saw him today and uh, seems to be doing really well. So I'm excited about him getting out there and seeing what he can bring to the table. I, I think that's I think that's incredibly important because if Spencer has indeed made the progressions that he talked about or that some of the coaching staff or people privy to practice have talked about, I, I think that that obviously that obviously helps kind of cover up the run game until it gets squared away. But Spencer, if, if all of that is true, even if half of it's true or three-quarters of it's true, immediately takes this offense – to another level because you look at the experience he's played in 20 games and that's something that Mike Gundy has always said you know once guys get to you know 18 19 20 then they really start to they really start to take off and the game really slows down for him and and I just want to say this about Illingworth uh you know we we talked about before the game that if Shane goes out there and puts up, you know, 350 yards and three touchdowns and, and just absolutely plays lights out, it, it could be a bad thing for Spencer. You know, the coaching staff might not have a choice to to send, you know, to, to send Shane back to the bench. And there there were mistakes made by by Shane. You know, he's that was only his yep. fifth game, I want to say. He played in four last year, um, and it wasn't even a full four. And so, you know, he played a half game against Tulsa. He played West Virginia, Kansas, and he played about a half a game against OU. And then he played a full game on Saturday. So that's that's like four games that mm-hmm. he's played in total. Um, and and he, were there missed throws? Sure. The, you know, the interception shouldn't have happened, and he got lucky he probably didn't throw it at least one more. But I mean, he went twenty-two of forty for three hundred and fifteen yards for a guy that's only played in like four total games altogether. I think that's pretty damn good. Yep, it is. That, and that's one thing to keep in mind too. He's so young and he's so talented. And when you combine the fact that he, he had to throw the ball forty times, which definitely as 
we heard post game not something that they wanted to do. They did not. There was no intention of throwing the ball that many times, but it all just everything just comes full circle back to the run game. That that's the big the big thing. Triple stars on both sides of this. That's the the big thing you take away from that game against Missouri State. The running game just it it's what really kept everything in that offense, especially in the second half, from being able to produce and. So some of the stuff, some of the woes, especially in the second half, it's fair to blame some of them on Shane, but there's others I don't think it is fair to blame on him because it makes it that much harder for him to perform when the running game isn't there to pick him up. Yeah, and and that's something with an immobile quarterback, and you you can't. And that's something that that uh, that Spencer brings another element to is when you drop back and you have no mobility other than maybe taking a couple of steps here and there just to try to, to get a little space, it, it, it severely limits. And I, and that's not, I mean, that's, that's obvious, but that's, that's Shane, you know, he has a, he has got a rocket launcher for an arm and he is incredibly intelligent and he's a, he's a very good football player, but that was, you know, basically four total games uh, of action for a, for a kid that was thrust into it last year and something that we had been told was all throughout fall camp, you know, Shane was just there. You know, he was taking his snaps, but he kind of had this backup mentality. And then when he found out that he was going to be the guy, he just, he went off. You know, he had a really, really solid week of practice, but that's still only like the first. And he took for, and Gundy said, you know, he, he's been taking first team reps throughout fall camp but obviously not on the level of being a starting quarterback. So there, there was still some, you know, I, I would have to think obviously some nerves and maybe some consistency issues with trying to trying to get a rapport with some of the receivers and the running game needs to be fixed. And I, and that's, that's why moving on to Tulsa, that's why I chalk the running game up as a bit of an anomaly because there's experience in the backs. It, it's uh, just like the line. It's not like, it's not like John Wozniak's, you know, sending out a couple of rookies and a couple of guys that have only played in just a few snaps. I understand that, you know, Jalen Warren didn't play an insane amount at Oklahoma State at a power five, major power five level. It's not like Des Jackson played in every single game, but you look at that Texas Tech game last year, you know, Des earned his snaps. Now, unfortunately, he fumbled the ball against uh, Missouri State, and that's going to lose you touches, and it obviously did. But LD is, you know, he's been a, a solid running back for a couple of years, and he just didn't do anything. And no, so he did not. That's you combine that with the uh, the experience and all that, and on the offensive line, and that was frustrating. I chalk it up to an anomaly because I feel like uh, is it is it every bit of it going to be fixed going into Tulsa? No, but I would have to think that there's plenty that they could see and 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 hopefully fix going into Tulsa. Now, if they if the Tulsa game is the exact same thing then obviously Oklahoma State's going to have trouble this year. But I, I hope that's not the case, and I hope that experience pulls them through. Yeah, I'm, I'm a just uh, – I'm hoping that it's an anomaly, and I'm thinking that it probably is. I would not be surprised to see that average yards per carry number jump from sub two to three and a half per carry, you know. And if it doesn't, I think – I think you said – I think we're going to be in for a – Bit of a long season if it does not improve. Absolutely. But um, I think that I would not be surprised if it is like a huge, huge emphasis for 
Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy to say, you know what, we are going to use this game to fix our running game and we are going to run the ball a lot. Yeah, and I and I think that's where Spencer comes in and and I think I think Spencer helps the run game tremendously, not just not just himself, but I think the the fact that you've got your starting quarterback back in the game. You know, you have that confidence, you have that experience. Obviously everyone feeds off of it and I think it's really, really important. Uh, the coaches poll, I was not surprised. Oklahoma State dropped one spot in the coaches poll. Uh, the AP, I think the highest OSU was ranked was 17. I think it was the I highest. Think that it was, yeah, between 17 and 20. I saw someone put yeah. it in there, and I think that it was the. Uh, I think they said it was the Boise State rider. Maybe yeah, the, trying to, yeah, the Boise trying to bump them up a little bit before <laughs> they uh, go to Boise. Yeah, I saw, I saw that, and then I think where the votes equate to, they were 32. I, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with it, considering yeah. you know Oklahoma State. I think by the time the game started, it was, I want to say, 38, 38 and a half point favorites. And, yeah, thirty-eight. And you just you know twenty-three, sixteen. That's that's rough, you know. But the good thing is that sixteen, and you look at what the defense did, and just how solid they were. When it yep. came to third down, you know, stops on third down. You look at what uh, you look at what Malcolm did. You look at what Amen or not Amen. I'm reading an article about Amen. Uh, you look at what Devin, Devin Harper, Harper did. I mean, it, it, those guys they combined. You know what was it? Uh, Twenty four total tackles. I mean, just a huge, huge game between the two of them. And I think the fact that the defense was on the field so much. That if the offense, if and, and a lot of it was in the late third and into the fourth quarter, that if the offense had been able to kind of step up a little bit, then the defense would not have. I, I doubt they probably wouldn't have, or they would have given up that touchdown late in the game. I think mm-hmm. that if they were just a little bit more rested, I don't think that touchdown would have happened. But in all reality, the defense was really, really solid, and I think moving forward throughout the year, Jim Knowles, you know, he's. I think the defense is what we thought it was going to be, and that's really, really good, possibly better than last year. Yeah, and uh, one thing to add on, um, if if you flash back to 2016 when Oklahoma State lost to Central Michigan, I think we could have had a similar outcome last Saturday if it wasn't for this defense. Agree. You know, I mean, they were on the field so much, especially as you mentioned that late third and the entirety of the fourth quarter that, it would have made so much sense and been completely understandable for them to wear down and on those final two drives end up giving up a touchdown instead of getting two fourth down stops. And the next thing you know, we have no idea where it's headed from there. So, I mean, I think that as a, overall as a team, it's just very, very, very blessed to have uh, a very solid defense and to have Coach Knowles with his, um, with his unique scheme in the secondary and just with what he brings, especially the, the aggressiveness on third down. I saw that I saw something on PFF or somewhere that Oklahoma state, I think was fourth in the country um, for week one in QB pressures. Mm-hmm. And that just, I mean, it's not really a surprise. There were a handful of times on third down where Knowles would just say, let's just send seven, let's just send seven guys after Jason Shelley and see what happens. And, and um, looking through here, I know um, 
Robert put out an article not that long ago with some quotes from uh, Tulsa's head, Tulsa's head coach, um, Coach Montgomery, just talking mm-hmm. about the uniqueness of that um, that defensive scheme from Coach Knowles and how big of a difference it made from 2019 against Tulsa to 2020. And uh, you can probably hit on a little bit of that as well. Yeah, those numbers. I mean, so this is this is what Montgomery had to say. I have a lot of respect for him. Every year that we've gone against him, just how completely sound he is, and he does a really good job at being able to schematically get guys unlocked and off of blocks. Being able to, I'm not just saying hide a guy, but being able to put him in a situation where it is very difficult for us from a run game standpoint to get up and block on him. You, you mentioned it. I mean, these are the these are the numbers. These are the differences between 2019 and 2020. And I think it, the you could see the difference between 2019 and 2020 overall between the defenses. And, and I mean, the defense last year was really, really good. So I'm not saying that you're going to see a similar leap from 2020 to 21 like you saw in 2019 to 20. But this is just the Tulsa game. This is what they did in 2019. They uh, gave up 21 points. Tulsa had 53 carries for 153 yards, roughly – three yards a carry. You had 35. Uh, I think it was 19 completions. Yeah. 35 attempts. I, yeah. It's, he's got it. The tight. formatting on that's a little bit weird. A little weird. That threw me. That threw me. Yeah. 19 to 35, uh, 238 yards. And I think that's either a touchdown. touchdown. I, I think it's one I think it's touchdown. One. Yeah. Uh, they were 10 to 22 on third down. Uh, gave up three sacks. They had eight tackles for loss. And so you go to 2020, and, and less sacks, less tackles for loss, but they were 0 for 12 on third down. They were 18 to 28 with one touchdown for 165 yards, and they gave up seven points with 32 carries for just 112 yards. The, the way the defense has risen to the occasion, and, and there's, still, there's still a really good amount of quotes um, Montgomery, you know, he's adopted Montgomery on Knowles. He's adopted his philosophy to what they're going to do in the secondary now, which is very similar to what we run. They have a bunch of DBs back there and they can play a bunch of different coverage and do a really good job of disguising them. They don't give you a lot of pre-snap ideas of what they're doing. Then who is going to be in the box? Who is going to be the box player? They're always changing and mixing it up. He keeps you off balance when it comes to that. Then probably better than anybody in the country, I'd venture to say at least short yardage you get in those short yard situations, in those goal line situations, they are extremely difficult. I've watched every tape, every game that they've had, and nobody has had success in those areas. You can go back to OU as good as they were last year. They still struggled in those third down situations. Everybody else that they played, it didn't matter if you're putting three tight ends on the field, an extra lineman, or you're trying to spread it out. They are very, very sound in those third downs. And we saw that against Missouri State. And I, this, you know, this Tulsa team that's coming in is going to be a different Tulsa team than got beat, that got beat by UC Davis. Obviously, all the players that were suspended last week are going to be back. But I still don't think that Tulsa is going to have a ton of offensive success against this Knowles defense. Yeah, um, they have a new quarterback. They lost Zach Smith last year, mm-hmm. so it's. Um... Davis Brin and he uh, he struggled on Saturday, and uh, they they do have some experience though at the skill positions. That is one thing to yes. keep in mind. I know they uh, they returned 
their running back, their running back one who tore his ACL early in the season last year before the game. It was um, Shamari Brooks. He's back, and they also had um, – He's a good back. I think they had 247 rushing yards and two touchdowns. So that was basically the entirety of their offense on Saturday. So that is that I I would anticipate Tulsa to be fairly ground heavy, I guess, especially with the inexperienced quarterback. But yeah, I, you said it. It's a completely different Tulsa team now. And then on the defensive side too, losing David Collins, which is big loss. as good of a defensive leader as you can possibly have. It's going to be a completely different feel and I think it'll be I think that we'll see that you know Oklahoma State 13 point favorites at home I think that if I were a betting man which I'm typically not um, I would probably take Oklahoma State to cover that 13. Yeah you know and you look at it I, I would I would have to say that any team would be hard-pressed to say they lost as important of a player on either side of the ball as David Collins. Now, there's, there's going to be guys throughout the first round that were huge impact players, but there was no one else in the country that had as big of an impact or was as good of a player for a team, an overall team, as David Collins was with Tulsa last year. Um, that's That's a big, big loss, and I think that, that's really going to help Oklahoma State. Now, I'm not saying that, that Tulsa is going to come in here and just lay down because I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. I think right now it's a I want like you said it's a 13 point. I I don't think that's I don't think that's out of the realm. I I think Oklahoma State can can hold Tulsa to a, a probably less than 20 points. I I don't think that's the the big thing for me is what's that first half going to be like? without Trey Sterling. I, I think yep. that's that's going to be a big loss. But the good thing is Knowles isn't, you know, he doesn't have to send out a freshman or redshirt freshman or sophomore out there. You know, Jason Taylor is, has been here, and he made some pretty decent plays last week. And I think that's who you're going to see a majority of those snaps in the first half. I would think so. And um, I, I think the – unique scheme of Knowles' defense, the uh, four, two, five. Yeah. I think that with um, all of the versatility in that secondary, I think that it'll be able to cover up for the absence of Trey Sterling in the first back and the first half, but you best believe in the second half that when uh, he comes back out there, he's going to be fired up. Absolutely. Uh, since, since we're, we're putting this out before the game, Ryan, let me let me have a score. First of all, how do you feel the offense is going to perform moving the ball? Uh, give me a quick little rundown on how you feel the defense is going to do, and then give me a score prediction. Okay. On the offensive side of the ball, I think um, just like last week, but I guess in a little bit different of a situation with uh, Spencer Sanders coming back, I think Oklahoma State will score points on their first drive whether it be a field goal or a touchdown, I'm inclined to say a touchdown. Yeah. But I, I think that they will score on the first drive. And um, I think the running game had 54 yards against Missouri state. I would probably, I think they'll have a bounce back day on the ground. I could definitely see a long touchdown run from an LD Brown or a, a Desmond Jackson. And then some sort of a, score down by the goal line from Jalen Warren because he's kind of shown he's that guy between like inside the 20s you know who gets uh 
he's used in a lot of different ways. And um, so I'd probably say, I think the offense will score more than 23 points. Yeah. I, I would say, I would guess that they'll score 30, I'm going to say 34 or 38, so somewhere between that range. And the defense, um, I think they'll do just fine. Um, I don't think they'll be on the field for nearly as much as um, last week. So I think they'll be able to stay fresh. And um, I think there will be an overall more, there'll be an aura of confidence as well as just anger from last week, wanting to bounce back and show that last week was an anomaly. And so if I had to give a score prediction, I'd probably say 38 to 18, somewhere around there, 38 to 17, something along the lines of that, winning by around 20. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's fair. You know, I think that Spencer adds another layer, and I, th- I think you obviously have to kind of keep it tempered because we don't know what Spencer's going to do. We don't know what he's going to look like. I'm excited to see it, and I'll go back to what I've I've said it a few times. You know, I I don't know how much high school tape of Spencer you've seen, but I I, I covered him quite a few times his Mm -hmm. senior year in high school. Um, Obviously watched a lot of tape before he got to Oklahoma State, and Spencer could do really whatever he wanted on the field against any opponent. He was was so spectacular that it – didn't play a lot of second halves. There weren't many games where you saw him in the second half of a ball game. And so I, that's what I want from Spencer. And I don't I don't necessarily say that because I want him to be able to go out and do whatever he wants against a defense, be able to move the ball at will and do whatever. I want him to play with that type of exuberance again. And I'm and I'm not saying this because he doesn't, right? I'm not saying that he doesn't enjoy playing football, that he doesn't love it but I want him to have that type of experience and type of excitement of, of like he did when he was in high school because that Spencer can do whatever he wants. And so yep. if, if we get a Spencer that can go out there and he's not turning the ball over and he is able to move the ball down the field, maybe not score a touchdown every single drive he's out there, but move the ball with ease, you know, be, be able to, to make passes that he hasn't made in the past and, you know, be able to pick yardage up on the ground and, and just be able to play loose and play free, then that Spencer gives Oklahoma State the best chance to win. And that's and that's what I think he can bring on Saturday. There's, is there going to be some rust? Sure. He didn't play in the first game. You're finally getting out there against a team that can hit you. You're not wearing a green jersey. I think that's going to be a, a little bit of a different factor. It might take him a drive or two. I'm with you, though. I, I, I still think they score on a drive. I, I said last week it was going to be Tay Martin, and it was. Give me Tay Martin again. I think Tay yeah. is going to be that guy on offense. I, I, I don't know if it's going to be, like I predicted last week, like a 35-plus yarder to Tay. It might be another goal, you know, like a, a red zone goal line type situation again, touchdown to Tay. But give me Tay again. I'll take another touchdown from Tay. I think the defense is going to be absolutely solid. Um, even without Trey, I'm, obviously you don't want to lose a guy of that caliber because I'm I, he's to me still the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Year. I think he ends up that this year. So that that's a big loss. But you look at the, that front seven; they're just they they were so solid last week. I think you're going to continue to see those blitz packages uh, from Knowles. Are you going to see it at the rate you saw it against Missouri State? 
maybe, probably not. I don't know. But I think I think you'll still see some of those all-out jailbreaks, and I think those are going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm excited about seeing that this year. Give me. I I don't. I'm not going to say the the offense is going to go out there and just explode. So I, I can't remember what I said on my radio show this afternoon. It's been a long day. Give hey, me different prediction. Give me thirty-five thirteen. And the, so and, we're in the same general ballpark. Yeah, and the 13 is not a field goal block, an extra point block. The field goal or the, the 13 is a touchdown and two field goals. That's okay. that's where I'm at. I think the defense is going to do what it did against Missouri State. It's going to keep Tulsa out of the end zone. I think that's going to be really important. And so give me yeah, give me 35-13 and I, I I like the way that, and I think the defense coming up with huge stops is also gonna it'll it'll help fuel the offense, and if the offense can avoid a situation like was it a minute forty something left in the ball game, and Missouri State I think had one timeout left, you run the ball and then you throw on second and third down, I get yeah. the I get the the mindset behind it if you if you get a first down ball game it's over. And we can't run the ball. We can't run the ball. Okay, that's fine. Run the ball. They call a timeout. And then guess what? You run the ball, and you may not get any yardage. But then you run the ball, and you may not get any yardage. And all of a sudden, it's fourth down with less than a minute left on the on the clock. And right. then you, and then when you send the punter out there, you send Tom out there. You let that that play clock tick 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 down to where you're sitting at about thirty thirty five seconds, and then you have him hang one high. So. Then it's then it's not near as a dire situation as it was, but I, I think that the defense is going to come up with some pretty big stops against Tulsa in some pretty key moments, some pretty crucial situations, and that'll help fuel that offense and vice versa. I think the offense being able to move a little bit better than it did last week, I think scoring a, at least another touchdown or two in in certain situations, and that's another thing to remember. Shane, there were three touchdowns that were called back. Yeah. On, on Saturday, there was the Bryson Green touchdown too long in the back of the end zone. There was a touchdown called back on a hold on a cowboy back. And then you had Tay Martin bobble the ball when he hit the ground in the west end zone, that north side. So, I mean, there's three touchdowns right there that if you just score one of those, it, the game is – the I think you take all the momentum away from Missouri State because those are massive stops for them. You know, and then you yeah. and then you couple with not being able to move the ball. I think I think those issues, hopefully, situations like that, won't happen against Tulsa. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, 11 a.m. kick. That's that's a rough one because I got a pregame show on Triple Play Sports Radio. That's five hours before kickoff. That's six a.m. Oof. I'm. I'm gonna call you. I don't have the. You better have your sounds on. I'm gonna call you. Oh gosh, I'm. Uh, you're gonna call me while I'm. You're gonna wake me up and uh-huh. ask me a score prediction or ask me something, and oh, I'm yeah. gonna have no clue what's going on. Yeah, that's uh, that's mine and uh, Marshall Levinson's show, the Orange Nation Tailgate Show on Triple Play Sports Radio. It's uh, a lot of fun. We're at uh, for every game except 11 a.m. games. We're live at the Hideaway, uh, so that's that's gonna be a lot of fun. You swing by and see us, but obviously 11 a.m. kick. Hideaway is not going to be open at 6 in the morning, so we're going to be in studio 
Uh, but but really looking forward to that. The first first uh, first show was a lot of fun. We had Eli Letterman of the Tulsa World on as well. It's I, I think this is going to be a fun year. I think I think Spencer is going to help drive this offense and hopefully can stay healthy. And and if he can't, I'm I, there's more than a capable quarterback in in Shane Illingworth behind him. Looking forward to seeing what this uh, season holds. This is going to be interesting. This is going to be the last topic we talk about because we're yep. re- we're recording this. Thursday evening. So the four teams, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, have officially submitted applications to join the Big 12. That came down. You had Cincinnati and and UCF. Uh, The news broke earlier in the day on Wednesday that they had submitted, and then by late Wednesday evening, reports of BYU and Houston both have submitted their applications. It's being reported, and, and we talked about it all last week. You know, Polk's report was ahead of the curve. Uh, and Friday, there's going to be a vote. This this Friday, eight remaining schools are set to vote. It's going to be a rubber-stamped yes. That's the that's the the predicting uh, the prediction of what's going to happen on Friday. The, the these four schools are going to be introduced uh, as new members of the the Big Twelve once the they either get out or once the uh, they so what it is, ACC requires 27 months notice uh, if they pl- if the schools plan on leaving. Well, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF are members of the AAC, so they'll have at least 27 months and pay a 10 million dollar exit fee, or like when UConn left the AAC, they could pay 17 million and leave on a 12 month notice. So at the earliest, you're looking at a year before these four schools, at least those three schools get in, BYU's independent. So that'll be interesting to see when they when they come in. But when this comes out, I don't. The, I think the morning is set, the meeting is set for Friday morning, earlier in the day. Yes. And so by the time this comes out, it will be official. But Yeah, because that meeting is expected to just kind of be yeah. just like a, a, just a commodity. Just, just kind of like Simply a, formality. Just to have it. Absolutely. Just, just for, yeah, that's the word I was looking for, formality. You're just simply a formality. Yeah, and that's... Here's the thing. For the Big 12, it's great. For for the conference itself, adding these four schools is great. They're four competitive schools, four of the more competitive schools that you could go after and get. Obviously, there were some people that would have liked a Boise, but I'm okay with these four schools. You look at what Cincinnati's done last year. You look at what they continue to do. Um, UCF, <laughs> I mean... The, National champions, baby. Um, yes. They're delusional. Most recent. But, Big but, 12 national champions as of now. <laughs> but they're, they've had they've had some solid success. BYU, you know, they're, they've been pretty decent. And so in Houston, they're always competitive. You know, Dana just can't get away from the Big 12. You can't. But I, I, I like these four schools. Now, with that being said, does it make sense for Oklahoma State and maybe any other Big 12 school? It, mm. For me, I don't think so because it, 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 the only way it would is if Oklahoma State or the Big 12 can get assurances after their grant of rights is up from ESPN or Fox or whoever they sign a deal with that Oklahoma State and existing schools continue to make at, at least as much money from the new grant of rights as they're making right now. If that's the case then obviously the Big 12 would make sense because that's the whole that's the whole the whole thought process is money because with yeah. less money the Oklahoma State athletic department as a whole does not continue to operate on the level that it does right now you will not have the sustained success 
in all of the sports that you have right now if you make less money than what you're making. That's why if there are no guarantees, if there are no assurances, for me, big uh, Oklahoma State leaving the Big 12, whether that's going up north to the Big 10, if the Big 10 will have them, it, it, I'll tell you right now, I've said it before, I'll say it again, for me, the Big 12 is my number, or excuse me, the Big 10 is my number one pick. Give me the Big mm-hmm. Ten every day of the week, twice on Sundays. Better competition, more money, recruiting is an instant boost. Tell me Oklahoma State and Penn State or Ohio State or Michigan or Iowa. Tell me those aren't going to be some of the, or Wisconsin, some of the best matchups you see week in and week out. I mean, that would just be electric. And then you look at yeah. the you look at the Pac-12, Oklahoma State's immediately competitive in football most likely winning a, a, a conference championship within the first two seasons. Yeah, so, I agree with that. So you may not, it may not be as prestigious. You may not make quite as much money, but you probably make more money than you do in the Big 12, and you're, win- you're immediately competing for conference championships, and you're top of that conference, which, as we reported a few weeks ago, USC said, we don't want Oklahoma State in the Pac-12. Well, that's because USC doesn't want to get their butts whooped. And that's exactly what would happen. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Oklahoma State's going to beat USC every single year, but Oklahoma State immediately enters as one of the top three teams and most likely wins a conference championship within the first two seasons. So adding adding BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF makes sense for the conference. It will make sense for Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State will continue to make as much money. But I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case because, one – even if these four schools brought in as and, – and they very well might. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but even if these four schools brought in as much money as OU in Texas, guess what, Ryan? you got to pay, schools, yeah, you gotta pay two more schools. Mm-hmm. So these four schools would need to bring in more money than OU in Texas, and I just – I don't think that's going to be the case. now. Like, it won't be. It's impossible. Exactly. Like Gundy said, though, I mean, great markets. You're getting into a, a solid Florida market. You're getting into a solid Ohio market. You're getting into Houston, which Oklahoma State hasn't been in in a while. Um, I, BYU, do with the Utah market as you will. I guess it might help Oklahoma State a little bit more um, with the Polynesian players. You know, they've they've mm-hmm. done a good job of recruiting poly players out of Utah. Tell you right now, Mason Cobb. That's one of my that's that's one of my favorite players right now on this team. I think he's going to make a massive impact. He's the the Utah Defensive Player of the Year his senior year in high school. So I think that it obviously helps some. You get into California a little bit, but it, it it's good for the conference. Um, good for Oklahoma State yet to be seen. But what are what are your thoughts on on adding these four schools to the the Big Twelve? I think short term. It makes a lot of sense, and in terms of just sheer, just looking at the the competition that it would bring into the league, it's great. And short term, as you mentioned, it's great. But you get you have problems when we go down the road, and that Big Twelve TV deal is up, and mm-hmm. it's seeing if anyone is willing to pay as much or even close to as much money on a new TV deal for what would be a very, very, very different Big 12. While it still be, it still would be a competitive Big 12, and it still would be probably a better, well, not probably, in my opinion, it would certainly be a better top-to-bottom football conference than the Pac-12 is. A lot, a lot more competitive, absolutely. Certainly, but I, I just think in terms of a perception and a marketability standpoint, 
I think it would be very tricky. And um, I just don't know if it would be something that's sustainable for a school like Oklahoma State. And I think short-term, it's okay. Yeah. And I would be very intrigued to see how long – I think a lot of this depends on how long OU and Texas end up staying. Agreed. You know, because Agreed. some people think it's going to be – 2024 2025 i'll when tell you the, right now you know, those, some people think those it's people be are crazy season. those people are yeah. oh OU, OU and texas they are not stay, and i they are not staying until 24 25 i'll tell you they it, at most with the sense of urgency at that most they, they stay till 23 with the sense of urgency that they showed in trying to get into the sec Absolutely. i would agree with you i don't think that you are that urgent with trying to leave and trying to get into a new conference if you still intend on staying in said conference for another four seasons. Yeah, you know, and I could see originally my I mean, it was January 1. For me it was January 1. Uh after the football season, you 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 finish out the winter sports in the in the Big 12, but the spring schedules that have yet to be released, there they play in the SEC. It, mm-hmm. But the the longer we go, it, it's a it, hundred and sixty some odd million dollar buyout that you know, and the rumor is that Texas has that from the Longhorn Network. I mean, they they were partners to go to the SEC, but does Texas really want to pay OU eighty million dollars? Probably not. Um, that was the whole reason that Texas did the Texas Longhorn Network. The Longhorn Network was because they wanted all the money. They didn't want to share the money, so why would they give OU eighty million? The money's there, but is it going to happen? The longer we go, the more I feel that maybe the end of the 22 season looks a little bit more viable. Obviously, the buyout's a lot less. You get a, you get a, a little bit more time to get all your ducks in a row and, and try to work out an exit strategy, exit plan. But yeah. it, it could be January 1, but I, I'm at, at the I will most, say, at the I will most say this for me, is 2023. Yeah, at the very least, I will say this. I firmly do not believe that we will have an overlap of any kind between the AAC schools Agreed. and OU and Texas. Ab- absolutely. I, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. The, well, the AAC schools, I could see... I if, could see BYU sneaking in here I, next year. I could see at least one... Yeah, conference. I could see at least one year with BYU and, and OU and Texas. That's that's on the, that's on the, like the, the short-term kind of a long shot of a thing, but if, if any of those four schools that were, that were to have an overlap, it would be BYU. Yeah, none of the other schools, none of those three schools are in the American. I, I don't think that we will see a conference that has Oklahoma and Cincinnati in it at the same time. No, and, and I'll tell you, if that if that happens, if that's the case, I would be shocked, and I think a lot of people would be too, because I... I don't think OU and Texas leave January 1 because that's a huge, huge, huge buyout. But yeah. I, I could see 22, 23, it's a hell of a lot less of a buyout. But I don't see I, – I just – I don't see when, – when, when Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF announce, they're saying, all right, we're going to be in the Big 12 in 23, OU and Texas will not be there. That that's I that's when agree. they make their exit plans. So it'll be interesting. So when you when you hear this, as we're we're not saying that it's official yet because we're recording this Thursday night, but it's basically official. So if some of the details are off, don't blame us. That's not on yep, us. Don't don't sue me. We'll 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 hit it next week when we record a wrap up before the Boise game, which is going to be a lot of fun. I'm I'm excited about that. I'm not going out because Robert will be there for Pokes Report. 
But yep. uh, I'm I, I want to see the blue turf in person, but it doesn't make sense, especially right now in just the current environment. Absolutely. Um, I'm with you, Ryan. I appreciate your time. Always fun. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to, to seeing what this Tulsa game brings. Looking forward to seeing what Spencer Sanders can bring to this offense, what the defense can do. And looking forward to breaking this one down yes. before we get and to Boise State. Last last couple of comments from me. Um, one, just quickly, you mentioned your prediction being a Tay Martin touchdown on that first drive. Yep. If I had to have a, if I had to have two predictions. I think Oklahoma State will bust off a 50-plus yard run at some point during the game. Uh, passing and or on the I ground? Think, uh, on the ground, a fi- like Ooh, a 50-yard run. I would hope so. I, I, think be so. A, I think there will be a long – I think there will be a, a, a long rush during the game at some point. And then I my my bold one is that we will see a special teams touchdown this weekend. We I tell you, we were close. We were close Brennan to seeing so one. Brennan was so close to scoring that one, but then – the, the real last thing, I'm interested to see if, um, similar to Kansas in 2019, if um, the uniform, if, if, what the uniform situation is going to be like for the Saturday, obviously being 20, yes. year, 20 years since 9-11, and I was looking at it, and there's going to be a flyover before the game, and some uh, the, um, the uh, Orange Power VIP of the game is going to be the uh, OSU police oh, chief, we, Leon, Leon Jones. That is, that is so, there is no... There is no better person, a no 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 less of a stand up person on that campus than Leon Jones. I I absolutely yep. adore. Le- I don't know if you've had a chance to really get to know him at all. Um, anyone listening, if if you get a chance to meet anyone on campus, and and get to know them and pick their brain, uh, and and enjoy their company, it's Leon Jones. There's no in my mind. There's no better person on that campus than Chief. Fully Leon. agree. Only only talked to him a couple of times, but it's been an absolute pre- absolute pleasure each time I have. But mm-hmm. yeah, and I'm interested to see what the what the situation is like on Saturday. See what the uh, what the pregame will be like. The flyover. See if we have any uh, any special uniforms coming our way on Saturday. I would hope I so. I, I would hope that there's some kind of you know even if it's just um, you know adding American flags a, l- a little bit of red white and blue into the actual into the normal uniforms I, I like I think that's a really clean look when when teams just add a flag and then the their lo- like the he- logo on the helmet is red white and blue instead of you know instead of the traditional like it'd be orange and black. Uh, those I will say those military uniforms a few years ago, man, those were those were, those nice. were super clean. Looking forward to it, and, and you brought it up. I mean, that's it. Still blows my mind. Uh, Twenty years since I remember, I was in the fifth grade. I was on I was out on the I was out on the playground. We were at Washington uh, Washington Elementary School in Bristow, and we were on the playground. And all of a sudden, like the the school's tornado sirens, the the, mm-hmm. alarm, the tornado alarms started going off and. Every single teacher and office member and faculty and staff, everyone in the build started running out onto the playground to get all the kids inside. Oh, man. School went on to lock. Well, what's crazy about it was no one really knew what was going on. I mean, the the rumors were, you know, you've got the, you know, the pipeline crossing in Cushing where all the oil and, and you know, petroleum products converge in Cushing and they store it there and, you right. got the you got the refinery up in Ponca that produces uh, mainly you know jet fuel, and you got the munitions plant over I think in Muskogee and uh, or McAllister, excuse me, and and so I mean 
Bristow's only, you know, 25, 30 minutes away from Cushing, and that a lot of people thought those would be targets, uh, you know, and, and similar right. targets across America as well. So we were on lockdown, and parents couldn't get a hold of the, their kids because the, the teachers were trying to figure everything out. And I remember my teacher, Mr. Quarter, um, he was the golf coach at Oklahoma, at, uh, at Bristow, real grizzly man, you know, super nice, but, uh, you know, grizzly man, you know, and, and, and I remember him turning the TV on and him crying and, and trying to explain the situation and just how devastating it was. And then like the next two weeks, it, you know, and it, it was just nothing but, you know, tragedy and heartbreak and American resilience. And I remember seeing George W. Bush throw out that first pitch, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, it was a, a hell of a time. It was incredibly tragic, but the resiliency of Americans and, um, it, it still gets me every time I, you know, around this time of year when all the documentaries come out and, you know, re-air and I, I can't help but watch it. They're just, they're so good and so enthralling and, um, it's, it's a, a tragic time. And, and obviously all of our, our thoughts and prayers are still with the, the families of, uh, the victims and, and anyone else impacted on that. And then obviously all the soldiers and Marines and, and airmen and anyone else involved in the, in the war and fighting since then. So, um, but that's, you're, you, you bring up a good point, Ryan. I'm, I'm excited about the, uh, all the festivities, uh, and all the, the, the honoring and, uh, everything that Oklahoma State's going to do on Saturday because 20 years, it, it, that time has literally flown by. It is, it is just, it has got here in an absolute hurry, and it's still hard to believe it's been 20 years. I was barely over a month old, so I, I'm, I'm getting to be one of those kids who was barely alive for it. And though obviously I don't remember anything about that day, I love hearing stories about people's experience on that day just to get a perspective of what people went through whether it be someone who was seven years old or someone that was 35 or someone who was in like some of my family members who are in the Marines, you know, like it's just, I, I enjoy getting perspectives on what people, what their experiences were like at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be a sombering moment, uh, but it's also going to be, a, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, really, really looking forward to Saturday, everything, all the festivities and, and then obviously the game itself. So, uh, Ryan, again, Ryan, again, appreciate having you on looking forward to, uh, looking forward to next week. This has been the pokes report podcast for Ryan Breeden. I'm Zachary Lancaster here on pokesreport.com.